in a large enough space, there's going to be someone who beats you on some category. The folks that win in the long run are those that continue to challenge themselves against themselves. Welcome to Marketing with Matt. If you're an entrepreneur or business owner looking to create more margin in your life and business, you're in the right place. For more after the show, be sure to check out ProfitMoreWorkLess.com. Matt, we are talking about the never-ending battle between sales and fulfillment or between marketing and product. Um, No matter what industry I have been in, this is a constant battle. Yeah. And I think it's it's a tension that you have to constantly manage. But this is a factor that I think holds a lot of folks back from marketing because they've had this experience. So if you're listening, tell me if this resonates. Um, you experienced someone, they were amazing marketing, beautiful videos, beautiful hook, compelling uh, message. Their value proposition was incredible. Um, you thought, this is a no-brainer. This is amazing. This is great. You bought it. and you got it and you were underwhelmed and you felt this sinking feeling of what in the world did I buy? This, this did not at all match the expectations that I built up in my mind. And so the greater the marketing, it's like that's the setting expectations. The Sometimes the greater the deficit between what you expected and what it's actually delivered there. And, and you could think there's jokes about this on like, uh, especially with and when I think of uh, products of like wish.com. Oh, yeah. um, so for folks who aren't familiar, wish.com is, I think it's like, I don't even know if it's direct from China, but it's basically- Mostly. Mostly direct from China. And it seemed seems like high value, like heavily discounted products is what it seems like. And you get it and you're like, this was maybe not even worth the price that I paid for it. And so that's that's an example in like the product side. If you say like, this is a $200 discounted down to $12, in your mind, you expected this to justify, like you expected this to be valued at $200. And you thought I was getting a deal at this at $12. And you buy it and you receive it and you realize this probably should have been $6 discounted down to $1, right? Um, And so that experience where great marketing followed up by horrible delivery or horrible product or just completely subpar on the fulfillment side of it creates a lot of hesitation in folks. They feel like then then they don't want to do the things that are sometimes associated with poor products on the great marketing. Obviously, there's brands that we love, the ones that would do great marketing and have a great product. Um, but this is this is a constant challenge because the better you get in marketing by accident or intention, you will build up expectations. That, that's by design. So imagine if you have 5,000 customers <laughs> And you get a thousand, like only 20% are happy, but all 20% leave you a glowing testimonial. And then your sales page is littered with a thousand examples, a thousand people who are like, this was incredible. Everyone thinks this should be incredible. And the reality might mean, well, no, only you know, one out of five actually think it's incredible or whatever it might be. It's not it's not false. These are real experiences from folks, but maybe maybe the product was only a good fit for one out of five. And so the consequence on the other side of good marketing is you can run into those sort of scenarios. So the, the, the challenge is, how do you prioritize things in the right order? Because what I, what I see more often than not is folks that will have this experience where they got underwhelmed by delivery by someone who's great at marketing. So then they resolve that I will not market until my product is phenomenal. That's a tough balance. It really, like, understanding that 
there is going to be a point where you have to start marketing where your product may not be perfect. But where is like the ethics line of when is it unethical to maybe be marketing and selling when you like, so that's, I think where there's people where they just need to make up their mind and say, Hey, you know what? I recognize that no matter what, I'm going to be 4.9 out of five stars, right? Like you, you can't wait forever, but, uh, but how do you draw the line? Like, and how do you manage that? That's a great question. I think one, one story that resonates with me is it was, uh, I think retold by Simon Sinek. He was speaking at an Apple event and, uh, this is in the early 2000s, let's say 2006, 2005. And he's in the car with one of the Apple executives and he tells him, you know, Hey, I got, I was speaking at a Microsoft event. I got the Zune and it is way better than the iPod and, uh, or whatever it was speaking about the feature. And the Apple executive's response was something to the tune of, I have no doubt. And he retells it to this point in a large enough space, there's going to be someone who beats you on some category. There may even be seasons where you are undeniably being out. There's a superior product or a superior version of your product. The folks that win in the long run are those that continue to challenge themselves against themselves. So in that balance... If we compare ourselves to someone else and we decide we have to be the best in the marketplace before we get to market ourselves, it'll almost never happen because the, because the reality is the ones that are comparing themselves to a past version of themselves and continue to improve and run the race against themselves will attract and win on, on things that are actually beyond product. And this is the interesting thing about how we buy um, and how we just enjoy things in the marketplaces. All of us can probably think of a local business that it's more common in this way. I, I think of someone right now, a local diner. And I would not say they are Michelin star quality food, but they're still one of my favorite places to dine. And it has nothing to do with the quality of the, you know, of the coffee beans that they use in, in you know, for their coffee. There's an experience beyond just the product. And I would say in, for most brands, if, if, you know, if you're listening, you care about it as a, as a founder owner and to be a conscious marketer, you don't have to just compete on your product itself. So in the journey of improvement of getting better, it's wildly seen <laughs> that having more funding allows you to reinvest to make the product better. Marketing well allows you to have that funding. So a commitment to being better than you were yesterday, I think is probably the line that I would say in terms of like the ethics of, am I going to um, continue marketing, even though I know my product may not be a hundred percent fit. Uh, you could also look at this of, you know, product market fit. You might be great at marketing and actually, to my example, market to five folks. One of them has a phenomenal experience. Four of them doesn't, but you realize it was because there was a factor outside of your product, right? Like there's plenty of folks who have something where, you know, if I, let's say I have a, I have a Tesla and I'm buying a, uh, uh, tires for Tesla. Somebody else who doesn't own a Tesla could buy those same tires and say, these tires are horrible. They don't fit on my, on, on my Mercedes. And you'd be like, well, yeah, they weren't made for your Mercedes. They may even set on the page Tesla tires. And they may have been blinded to the words that said Tesla tires because they saw a thousand customers give us five-star reviews. Right. And so in, in that kind of a space where if you're finding a negative, you know, negative feedback is the consequence of them being the wrong audience is not necessarily a reason to, to reshape the whole product. But I see a lot of folks, especially early on when you're gaining traction, every 
feedback loop feels heavy or those early feedback loops definitely feel heavy. And so having a better understanding of who this product is for, or actually let's st- take a couple steps back here. When you're early on, you actually don't know who is going to have the best experience with your product or service. So to that point, early feedback, like you could get lucky and be like, this is a slam dunk and everyone who tries it loves it immediately. Chances are and more folks refine into this space where they realize who is my best fit customer, not just who's most likely to buy, but who's most likely to buy and have a great experience and want to recommend this to somebody else. And so I think on the you know, to the question of ethics, I think it's more so about a feedback loop of, are you learning? Are you getting better yourself? Yeah. So it's almost like the background of, are you at, is your intent to continue to improve and, and is your intent to deliver a quality product or service and not, you know, yeah, I know I'm selling because it's like in your example of the tires, is there an ethical responsibility of the person who's selling them? If he knows they're not going to fit, to say, hey, I know you're saying you want to buy these tires, but they're not going to fit your car, right? And I think that, to me, is where the ethics come in. Like, if you already are aware it's not going to be a fit, there's an ethical break there. But waiting for something to be perfect uh, is a sure way to never get the capital you need to grow and become better. And I think for more folks, especially in early stage or if you're launching something new, a, a great safety net it's just a risk reversal or something like a guarantee. And so as I think about companies that we would love to emulate, like Costco come to, comes to mind, and it's one of my favorite places to shop. And it is not because I haven't sent refunds there. A thousand percent have refunded lots of things to Costco. But they give me that kind of a confidence in my buying experience where they say, hey, if, we, if expectations were missed and you bought something that you thought was going to be incredible and we put it on our shelves, we said this is going to be incredible and it's not, easy, absolutely painless refund experience there. And so I think for more folks, it could just be that. It's surprising to me as I look at some of the offers that we've scaled, we have, yeah, in some cases, it's crazy to think about. We've had some offers with a 20% refund rate. And that feels like a lot. Like where you're like, man, it's not an 80% refund rate. That would be, I guess that'd be a flip term, but like 20%, that can be, that can be a lot. So imagine you sell $5 million and you refund a million dollars. That's 20%. Sold 5 million, refunded a million. And you could say, ah, oh, no, like that was horrible. You should have had a no refund policy. You can count the thing. And I'd say, well, no, this is part of the, the learning, the market research, the feedback loop that you, that you want to have. And you could say, call it a, it's a very wide safety net to say, we're going to market to the best of our ability. And we recognize that we might have a low friction buying experience where someone could be like, <laughs> they saw all of the five-star reviews, they bought it and they missed the part where we said it was Tesla tires. Well, we're not gonna ruin the relationship and we're not gonna adjust our buying experience to, to make it harder for the other 80% who were happy, who bought in and, and they were like, this was exactly what I was looking for. And so the um, if you think about it in net terms, like to, to that example, I think there's a lot of other businesses that are like, oh, you know, they could have a similar space. And like, I did a million dollars this year um, and I only had $30,000 in refunds. And, and we might have a product where like, we did 5 million and had a million dollars in refunds, but that's net four. So if I have to choose net one or net four, that gives us the ability to now reinvest, to improve, to grow. If there are things where the product wasn't wasn't up to par or needed, needed to advance and, um, you know, 
as long as as long as the business is designed to solve meaningful problems for me, um, you know, you, you actually create customers who thank you for having that product and enjoy the process of seeing it improve and, and seeing that commitment to it becoming better and better. I think with humans being disproportionately favoring or being concerned about loss over gain, the idea of having to refund, in your example, a million dollars over five million in sales, instead of thinking, I gained four, they're focused on the one million they lost. But to just simply adjust your focus in the, in the way you said of you have to focus on the net growth as the number you're looking at and not allow our irrational brains to stop us because that happens in so many parts of our life. Like, I don't want to do this one thing that will that that will allow me to grow because I have to give up this one other thing. And it's like, yeah, but that's the thing holding you back, right? It's the monkey with his hand in the in the uh, jar, not being able to get it out. And it's it's a difficult thing. I will say this is a difficult to that point for for that exact reason. We are inclined to measure the loss rather than the gain. As marketers or folks that are doing marketing, we will feel that disproportionately. Um, it, it'll be unfairly weighted the experiences of folks who are saying you missed expectations for me and the the reality is most businesses they encounter that and they stop promoting they stop marketing and they go back they they tell themselves i have to solve all of my issues before i'm allowed to to solve another problem for someone i don't think there's a lot of examples of businesses that thrive and have huge impact in the world who operate in that way and so back to that example of apple is like there was a season there where they knew they were not the best product in the marketplace, but they continued to challenge themselves to be better. And that's what, and, and people were still buying iPods, funding the development of the iPhone. Yeah, and there might've been a season where their focus was on marketing more than on fixing the product because they just had to stay relevant, right? What, if, if there was a challenge that you could issue to like to the listeners, like, hey, here's what I think you could take this and apply this into your business today. How do you think people could apply these principles and this mindset to make an immediate impact? I think if you want to see what's possible, I would find one area to reduce friction in your buying experience. So that, that might mean making your landing pages more compelling, like unboxing all the value that you bring. Like for a lot of folks... You know, the difference between an offer of like, I'll clean your house and an offer that says like, I'll clean unlimited bedrooms, unlimited bathrooms, unlimited kitchen, all the four floors, all these surfaces, both are saying the same thing. One feels way more valuable. So there's less friction in the buying experience. So unbox your offer, find areas to reduce friction in the buying experience. And, and so, yeah, that's like describing all the value that you um, have, articulating it into a connected, you know, high value experience there. Um, functionally letting people actually pull out a credit card and buy probably having like an abandoned cart sequence there so put a two-step buying process there because you recognize there's going to be drop off there and if you don't measure it then you'll never be able to reclaim it so some of those things so add you know reduce friction on on the buying side and then um you probably actually see this reduces friction increase your risk reversal increase your guarantee bet on yourself bet on yourself and let the marketplace um reveal their actual sentiment. And I, there was a lot of folks who have weak or non-existent guarantees, almost no risk reversal, and almost no sales. And, and I would say if 50 people purchased from you and all of them had to refund, you'd be back at exactly where you're at. Having high friction in the buying experience and no guarantee 
all that does is ensure that you're living out in the worst case scenario on the other side of that, where if you had a low friction buying experience, a high guarantee, chances are, and I've seen it, um, it will appropriately apply pressure so that you grow. Because so, even to that point, if, if I'm seeing folks wanting to buy and then they're refunding, the chance that you improve whatever that gap is, way higher than constantly fiddling around with your product and hoping that's going to be perfect. And you don't even know. You don't even know what could cause it. Like you still could run in the experience where someone gambles on you and buys somehow and then still is like unhappy with the, with the experience there. And, and uh, you didn't have the appropriate pressure there. So I think reduce friction in your buying process and increase, um, increase that guarantee. And, and I would challenge you like the, for us, we have an insane guarantee and we, we choose to be as easy as Costco. So I saw it worked for Costco and I think it's working for us in terms of reducing risk on the front end to say, I don't care when it is, why it is. If we missed expectations and you want a refund, here you go. But for us, the experience has been, it has been a net positive in disproportionate growth. Yeah, we're just waiting for the $1.50 hot dog and soda combo. But <laughs> the what's interesting is in that call to action and then in that encouragement, first of all, I fully agree and I and I strongly echo it, but it was all marketing side. And I think the reasoning is, is it's in the spirit of what we said. Like if you grow your business, you have more resources to then improve your product and your services. And so you're going to focus where you need to focus first. Now, make sure you have something to sell. But I love it. I think it's really good advice. Um, and hope everyone listening here with Marketing with Matt, if you have an entrepreneur, a business owner in your life, please share this episode with them um, and help them you know, focus on profiting more and working less. Thanks for tuning in for this week's Marketing with Matt. Check out ProfitMoreWorkLess.com to learn how we create high margin marketing. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the podcast, feel free to make a recommendation. I'm sure they'll thank you for it. Okay, bye for now.